Things like why does the church, which is an institution that's, that follows uh, uh, a, such a complex man who asked such difficult questions and, and was so radical in his welcome of the most complex people in culture, why is it that that same community who identify as his followers seem to have such a hard time loving the most complex people in Western culture? Why is that? Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn. I'm your host, and this is episode number 163. And uh, this is an episode that I've been waiting uh, for a long time to have. Or I should say a conversation I've been waiting for a long time to have. And I've been sitting on it for a little while, waiting for the right time to release it. We're talking to uh, Derek Webb today. Uh, Derek used to be uh, part of the band Cademan's Call back in the day, uh, a band that I used to listen to all the time uh, when I was in college and uh, seminary and things like that. Uh, their songs were, I don't know, kind of like anthems for my uh, younger spiritual days. And uh, much like myself, uh, Derek has been on a journey uh, where he has been deconstructing and reconstructing and rethinking and evolving and asking questions and all the different things. And he's actually writing uh, in the process of making a brand new album called The Jesus Hypothesis. And when I saw him post about this, I've been following him for a long time, but when I saw him post about this, uh, and also you've heard his music on the podcast before, but when I saw him post about this, and I saw the graphic he made for it, and um, I saw the kind of the the questions he was asking around it. Read some of the lyrics from the songs. I thought to myself, "Oh, we need to talk about this. <laughs> we need to talk about about this." And uh, he was kind enough to come on the show and talk to us about uh, his journey and a little bit about this record that he is in the middle of creating. And uh, in the show notes is actually his Patreon account because he's doing something really cool where he's actually letting his uh, patrons take part in the creation process of this album. So he'll have like sessions live on Zoom or whatever where he's actually working on brainstorming a song and his patrons are there with him watching him go through this, this process. And it's so interesting that a musician, usually that stuff is like really private for musicians. That is from what I've heard. It's usually a very, um, not secretive, but very like personal process where people kind of like to get alone with their thoughts and, you know, and create this, uh, the lyrics and the music and the sound and the feeling and the vibe. But he's bringing his patrons along on the journey and doing this uh, with them right there watching him. And I think that's just so so cool. So if you want to be a part of something like that, uh, his link to his Patreon account is in the show notes. Uh, speaking of Patreon, we also have a Patreon account here at the What If Project podcast. That's also in the show notes as well. Uh, there are some new tiers that I added. Uh, one tier I'm really excited about is actually um, what I'm calling like the, the, the live recording tier. So once a quarter, uh, I will invite you, if you're part of that tier, to join me on a podcast recording uh, where basically when the guest logs on to Zoom, I'll introduce myself, I'll introduce you. Uh, we can have some some little bit of banter. Uh, we can go back and forth and share some different things about each other. Uh, when I hit record, I'll put you on mute. And uh, then when we're done, we can say goodbye to the guest and I'll, you can hang around and uh we can debrief the episode together. So I'm really excited about that because a lot of people have asked me, like, what's it like to talk to 
N.T. Wright, or what's it like to talk to Brian McLaren? Well, come along for the ride, and you can see for yourself what it's like to talk to these people and uh, what it's like when I'm about to uh, throw up on my microphone because I'm nervous. <laughs> oh, man, it's going to be a lot of fun, but I'm looking forward to that. I'll put the link to it in the show notes. There's some other new tiers there as well. Uh, another new tier will be coming uh, in about a week or so. So all good things happening in the land of Patreon. And now we're coming up on the four-year anniversary of the show in a couple weeks. Uh, that is likely going to be a solo episode. Just me talking into this beautiful Blue Yeti mic. Uh, just you and me sharing a cup of coffee <laughs> and talking about, about life. I want to reflect on a couple things. And uh, share some some really big life updates uh, that some of you most likely already know uh, from social media and things like that. Um, and just kind of what that means for, for me and for my life. And the podcast isn't going anywhere. We're still here. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. Uh, but just doing some reflecting and some thinking uh, that has really challenged me in my life. And I hope to, to share it with you in some kind of helpful and somewhat eloquent way uh, here on the podcast. So that's coming in a couple weeks. Uh, This week is Derek Webb. Next week is actually Robert Alter, who has his own translation of the Old Testament. And uh, then the next week will be the Soul episode, and I'll tell you uh, what's on the burner for uh, the fall and uh, end of the the year. Uh, So yeah. Uh, show notes again patreon buy me coffee as well if you want to support the show financially those are two places to do that uh, the heretic shop is also there if you want to buy a t-shirt a hoodie uh, new stuff coming in the fall as well working on some heretical designs to put on <laughs> t-shirts and hoodies uh, that you can wear to the thanksgiving dinner table and uh, cause some some conversation <laughs> if that's if that's your thing uh, but those things are in the show notes and uh, special music today why not? It's Derek Webb. Uh, he's the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, he has his, a lot of his own music uh, since Cademan's Call. It's all on Spotify, iTunes. Head over there, check it out, download it. Uh, this music is off of his album. I believe it's called Targets. And uh, really, really good stuff. And uh, in this episode, it actually plays for us a song off of the Jesus Hypothesis album that's coming up. It's like a fresh song that's not out there yet. And uh, he plays it for for you and for me. And uh Really good stuff. So all that to say, my friends, uh, I'm going to shut up and let's roll the tape on episode number 163 with my friend Derek Webb. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we're sitting down with a brand new guest. Uh, you've heard his music on the show before, but today you get to hear a story as well. Uh, his name is Derek Webb. And so Derek, welcome to the podcast, my friend. It's an honor to talk with you. That's a pleasure. It's great to great to be on with you. Thank you. And so you have a really interesting story. And I was hoping that today uh, we could kind of just take some time to, I don't know, focus our discussion uh, around it, maybe branch off into a few other uh, directions as well. Uh, but right. you were part of Cademan's Call for a long time, a prominent Christian band that I used to listen to all the time when I was younger. And then a lot of stuff obviously happened in your life and you went this way and that way. And I've heard a whole lot of stuff, mostly from your critics <laughs> about your right. about your journey. But I was right. hoping that maybe today we could go straight to the source yeah. and talk to you. So Cademan's Call to where you are now, yeah. maybe just uh, fill in some of the the blanks for us. That's a lot of blanks. Yeah. It's a lot of blanks. (laughs) Well, it's been a long time. I mean, you know, that was, you know, we started the band when a lot of us were just out of high school and just starting college. And so for me, that was like, 
so so we so we started the band in Houston, uh, Texas, mm -hmm. in like '92, yep. um, and that was like the same year I graduated from high school. And so, mm -hmm. um, and it, and there, there's it, there's it's got its own story in terms of kind of what we were about, what we did, how it worked. Um, but you know, that was a 10 year, uh, experience for me in that band. And the band continued on, uh, after that, but I left at a, uh, put my first solo record out around 2002. Um, and now I'm about 15 or more years, whatever it is into my, into a solo career. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, um, I, I should just, just saying all that out loud makes me also want to say like, I'm insanely grateful for the fact that I've been able to make some kind of living out of looking at the world and describing it for people. And I think that maybe the reason that that's worked the way it has is because having spent 10 years in a band like Cademan's, which did have some relative success and we, we managed to come in at just the right time and we were doing something that was organic and authentic to us, but it also happened to be kind of a bit of a stylistic change in in what was happening in christian music at that time and we wound up kind of accidentally at the front of a cresting wave there and 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 so we had a really great run over those 10 years and managed to sell a bunch of records and play in front of a bunch of people and then and i say that to say that then going into my solo uh career i kind of knew what that was about i kind of had seen some of what that kind of success was like and what it kind of required of you maybe the sacrifices you had to make to have and and sustain it and it gave me the luxury of realizing that what I wanted more was to be able to be my own boss a little bit creatively and not, uh, and be able to, to say what I wanted to say when I wanted to say the way I wanted to say it. And, uh, sure. and so to be able to go into a, a career as a solo artist with that kind of wind at my back, it just kind of set me up in a fairly unique way mm -hmm. um, to be really happy if not intentionally aiming to keep my my little tribe small mm -hmm. um because i realized that i would much rather go uh i would rather go in to try to provide soundtrack for the more complex questions and the mm -hmm. ones that i didn't see really hardly anyone providing soundtrack for um and especially seasons that can be really alienating and isolating and lonely and mm -hmm. um and that um, and my creative MO has always been what I need and can't find I make. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of been the trajectory of the records that I've made as a solo artist. Like I've been looking for soundtrack for certain seasons I've been through, couldn't really find much. Mm -hmm. So I thought I would contribute to that. And, um, and I think for that reason, there's always been small pockets of people who have resonated with the questions, um, that have kind of preoccupied me and that has and just enough people to carve out a little career for me, you know? Yeah, and so that's yeah. kind of been my story though, is a, is a following of coordinates or questions along the way to kind of see where that takes me. Um, gotcha. and, uh, present, you know, season included. It's just always about what are the big preoccupying questions that deserve soundtrack and nuanced conversation, but maybe you're not getting that treatment. And that's something that I could kind of step in and contribute a little bit to. Yeah, yeah. So obviously back in the days of Cademan's, you identified as a, as a Christian. Um, and yeah, then... Yeah. Um, you kind of went down a rabbit hole, I guess we could say, or you started, you peered down the rabbit hole. And I'm wondering, like, what did that, what was that process like for you? Like, what began that, what, what questions kind of arose inside of you that made you kind of go that way? Like, what was that process like? For yeah, you? yeah. Well, so, so yeah, I mean, so I, I grew up with the language of spirituality and, and evangelical Christianity specifically. And, I, and I've always been really comfortable with that. I've grown up in the South. I was born in Memphis. I lived in Texas for a long time. I live in Nashville now, um, but I've traveled all over and I've got friends from all over, certainly who I've discussed all this stuff with. And, um, and so I think, and I'm also wired. I'm a contrarian. That's just how I'm wired. I'm a devil's advocate. That's just, <laughs> you know, for, and, uh, and, and so it's interesting that I, and I also have a bit of an intellectual chip on my shoulder, which is, that like I barely got out of high school and I was not, that was not really part of my identity growing up that I was smart or intellectual or anything like that. But it turns out I have a really inquisitive mind. I'm a raging Enneagram five. And so <laughs> with information and data and, yeah. um, and I love learning and I, and I didn't realize that until I was kind of an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And because um, the context for learning was always so, you know, kind of miserable when I was younger. But um, and so I wound up kind of studying my way in indie studying my way into a lot of kind of systematic theology. And like, mm -hmm. so when Cademans was first getting started, a lot of our music had a ton of theology and, and even kind of mythology kind of crammed mm -hmm. into it. Um, and that certainly was a big preoccupation for me for a lot of years. I was just chasing that. I was chasing certainty around. Mm -hmm. And um, and obviously, you know, you don't ever really catch that. Um, and if you think you have, that's when you're really in trouble. Yes. <laughs> um, that's, you know, you're, you're, you're destined for a, yeah. for a spill at that point. Yeah. And um, so I think ha that all being said, and having spent 10 years during my Cademan's time in a lot of churches, in a lot of big Christian cultural moments and festivals, and, and you just kind of wind up in the back doors and hallways of a lot of how, kind of how the sausage is made in, in Christian music and, and generally in Christian culture. You just wind up with a lot of stories and you wind up, you know, and so I kind of went into my solo career. One of the things that probably propelled me into my solo career was that I, my songwriting kind of took a bit of a turn. I've always been pretty risk tolerant, but um, through my time with the band, as, as, a, as a band, we were getting less and less so, which is what happens when you get, when you go from the change the world business into the platform building and maintenance business, which is what happens when you start to find some success. And um, so I started to take risks in my songwriting again, which, um, and there's, there's reasons for all that um, that aren't important probably right now, but the result of it was that I um, wound up kind of really wanting to go after some of these questions that, that found me kind of gnawing and biting at the hand that was feeding me at that time, which was kind of the whole, just the whole institution of, of Christian culture, you know, and right. kind of the way the whole thing works. And so I kind of, that, that was the thread I was following into my solo career. And I think there were a lot of people, it seems, that presumed because of the questions I was asking, questions that felt to me like they were worth asking. And as I said earlier, were questions that needed nuanced conversation and soundtrack for people who were grappling with them. Things like, why does the church, which is an institution that's, that follows uh, uh, a, such a complex man who asked such difficult questions and, and was so radical in his welcome of the most complex people in culture, why is it that that same community who identify as his followers seem to have such a hard time loving the most complex people in Western culture? Why is that? Um, you know, like, so, so that was a question right. I had. Yeah. I started to kind of, kind of poke at that. Yeah. And then you know, another question I had was, why is it that that same group of people seems to have so much confusion around their allegiance between kingdom and nation? Yeah. Like, what is that all about? And yeah. why, why, when did that happen and why? And um, so as I started to poke at some of these things, um, I think there were people who maybe saw, because of my contrary nature, I think there were people who might have seen me as kind of going down a road mm -hmm. that would inevitably lead in my deconversion and, dis and deconstruction. And um, because it seemed as though I was, I was dismantling the thing. Like yeah, I was yeah. kind of, I was pulling at all the threads of the parachute on the way down is how I think it must have seemed. And, but that's not how I was experiencing it. Like mm -hmm. I'm, and I think you can find this um, in, in the documents, of, in the songs themselves, on the records, that I, I did it out of love and care. I did it because I care about this community and because I care about these ideas. And because it was, it was the, the foundation of my belief at that time. And so, um, but I, and so I didn't see a deconstruction, deconversion season coming. I, I really didn't. That was not part of what I was imagining. Wasn't the plan. <laughs> Not the plan. Right. Um, but, um, you know, you go through um, hard things and unexpected things and, mm -hmm. and things that kind of call you for all the chips on the table and you wind up going from practicing something to needing it. To, in, in other words, you go from kind of the dress rehearsal to the to the show, yeah. and um, and when it came to the dress rehearsal of thirty years going to church and and cultivating what I thought was kind of community and people who will love and go and stick with you through anything, mm. you know, like people who love the idea of radical confession as a hypothetical, mm. 
but then you start actually radically confessing to them and they start to initially pray, eventually distance, and then finally, you know, excommunicate. Um, and so you go through that, mm -hmm. but that wasn't even the, really the reason I was questioning it. It was because um, it's good, I think, to regularly take an audit mm -hmm. of the presumptions you have about reality and the way the world works. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't had the opportunity to do that in a while. Yeah. And suddenly I was looking to those things for my, for my comfort and my, um, you know, uh, as I was kind of going through hard stuff and and I was looking for that, like I was looking for those answers and that meaning and that comfort. And I was just really finding kind of nothing. Yeah. Um, and so it took me a minute to, and it was good for me. It was good for me to kind of say, okay, well, does this maybe make any sense? Mm -hmm. And does it have any value? Is it persuasive? Is it believable? Is it necessary? Mm -hmm. And my following those questions is what led me into my last few years of records, records like Fingers Crossed and Targets and, and you know, basically really asking those, those big questions. And so the, so the threads I was pulling at early in my solo career, I'm just, now I'm just really pulling harder and, I'm, and I follow the thread all the way down to the root a little bit, you know, and, um, but it's really the same ethic, you know, of just looking at the world and describing it. And so I, you know, so I think that's some of the trajectory or some of the path I feel like that I was on that kind of brought me through. But as right. I said before, it's always just me following and trusting the questions mm -hmm. and, uh, and just trying to describe the world as I see it. That's the job. That, that's, yeah. that, that's, the, that's the same thing I've always done. But, you know, that's tricky business because you change, the world changes. So you could even stand in the same place, look at the same thing and see a total and describe a totally different thing one two five ten twenty years later because yeah. um, everything changes you do the world does and um you know so it's it's just uh yeah you know and and so when you're a professional autobiographer mm -hmm. um it's gonna you're gonna hit <laughs> some resistance and um yeah. you know but but uh but i enjoy that part of the job i really sure. do that, that's what tells me that i'm on the right track you know, when, when as many people are upset with me as are cheering for me, you know, that's, that, that, that feels that there's a, there's a, an equal, like a balance that I feel like I'm always hunting for. And when too many people are too into it, that mm -hmm. usually concerns me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's good to have the critics because when you have the critics, you know, that you're onto something. Kind of, kind of. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. my, all my heroes, you know, fell under great criticism. Um, you know, and, and this is something that I, and I don't know where this will take us, but it's, it has to do certainly with the season of work I'm in right now, but mm -hmm. it, it seems like I spent a lot of my 20s and my early 30s kind of um, falling down theological rabbit holes and studying really hard and trying to figure things out, again, chasing certainty, yep. and found my way into a very conservative school of theology, um, one that I think probably triggers a lot of people one way or the other, um, but um, into kind of more reformed uh, type theology mm -hmm. and you know, reading guys like Luther and Calvin and, and, um, and I know that can be really triggering. And I think anytime that, that you ask somebody the definition of a word and you get 10 different definitions from 10 <laughs> people, you stop using that word. I think right. that word has meaning at that point. Right. But, um, so I don't mean to do that, but, um, I think that one of the things I liked about that season of history, that part of history in the church was mm -hmm. that, you know, here you have in the 1600s, early 1600s, you have, or, or the early 16th century, I should say, you have, you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church is kind of the prevailing power at that point and influence in, in Christendom. And, and you have this guy, Martin Luther, and, and this is no compliment or whatever to him. It's just an observation um, that, you know, here he was kind of a good Catholic boy. He, he loved the church. He was, he was you know, um, he was uh, a thinker and he kind of found his way into some real questions about corruption and um, things were happening in the church that just seemed like they were inconsistent, didn't belong anymore. And he went in as, as a reformer and he very famously nailed his 95 theses, uh, theses to the Wittenberg church door in an effort to reform the church that he loved, to try to bring it back to like being about what it was supposed to be about in his estimation. And, and he got in a lot of trouble for that. And he went from when the church dug its heels in and stuck to its guns about some of what was happening at that time he went from a, a reformer to a Protestant. He went to protesting what he was finding and, and he wasn't okay with it. And, um, 
And one of the, the, the battle cries or whatever of that period of time is semper reformanda, is like always reforming, go on reforming, never stop reforming. There are, the whole idea was, and the reason I'm bringing this up is because this was such a significant period of church history that I studied, that I identified and resonated with. And what's interesting about it is the very folks who were pulling the church through those hard seasons were saying, don't even take what we are telling you now or the things that we're now reforming our way into and now saying, let's put that in stone and now that, like they, they said, no, no, you need to continue to always continue digging it up, right. always re-examine, always reform, continue doing this. And then, you know, you have points in, in, in so you have that, you have points mm -hmm. in church history where there were, it was decided that, a, that councils of men were going to decide what books were going to be in the Bible and what the canon was. You have times in the church, in church history where men were, uh, councils of men were decided that they were going to they were going to um, lay out um, orthodoxy in things like the Nicene and Apostles creeds, and they yeah, were going to yeah. say like this is the litmus test for who's in and who's out. And the thing is like, why do we feel like we here in the twenty first century are any different from these people fundamentally mm -hmm. that we cannot continue reforming as we were instructed to do by the early church fathers essentially like to go on. And even Jesus arguably did that. He came in and said, well, what you've heard, you know, uh, uh, you know you, you've heard it said, but I say unto you. It's yeah, like, yeah. It, and he was reforming and he was, he was evolving it and changing it. And he was taking risks and he was disrupting the status quo. And that's what Luther did. And that's what, and so it's like, I look at friends of mine who are seen as heretics and seen as radically unorthodox and guys like Rob Bell and there's just, a, and Richard Rohr. And there's a lot of these guys. And, and isn't it interesting that the great reformers mm -hmm. um, are often seen initially as black sheep and heretics yeah. until they pull the thing in a direction. I'm not, I'm not saying that these guys are necessarily those guys. I'm just saying that, um, you know, there's a line in the title track from this new record I'm writing that, that says uh, maybe, you know, black sheep aren't lost. They're just pioneers, yeah. uh, you know, brave enough to wander off and find what's past our fear. It's like, and I think that's, and so I kind of, I don't flatter myself to say I'm in that uh, trajectory or I'm, I'm in, in that, you know, uh, group or whatever, but I think that we've forgotten that we can do this. Mm -hmm. I think that, that people, and I don't identify again as, as, a, as a Christian at this point, and I don't know where I stand in terms of the institution of the church, but um, I think that it would be great for the church to wake up and realize that there is not only nothing wrong with, but it is commanded of us even, it's required of us that we go on reforming and yeah. that we look at things and say, if something seems to not belong, we don't need to defend what's always been there. We need to take a hard look at it and maybe try out, hypothesize about something radical and see where that takes us. Yeah. And that that, that that could be part of the continuum of faith, you know, yeah. um, because the great heroes, you know, of the church did this. And and we exalt them for it, and yet we're terrified to do it ourselves now. Yeah. And and there's nothing fundamentally different between us and any of those people. Why why can't we? Why why can't we? I mean, at, at significant points in church history, things that were long held were called into question and maybe even rejected. Yeah. And we can do that. Why can't we do it? We can at least have the conversations. Um, and that's all I'm really interested in. So anyways, that's all been on my mind, you know, yeah. and, and, and I think that's a lot of what has pulled me back into wanting to talk about issues of faith and spirituality, um, to try to talk about, um, and hypothesize about invisible, unknowable things, invisible, like God, unknowable, like the future. Um, you know, it, it, permanently uncertain as I am, I, I'm, I have <laughs> questions still. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm compelled and, and curious, and that's kind of part of where I've been and where I'm kind of, where I am, where I'm going, you know? Yeah. And one of the things that you said before is that I think is so important is that you, what started all these questions was your, your love for mm. the church. And I think that that's oftentimes a misunderstanding that I get a lot is like, I had somebody the other day commented to me and said, you're always trying to tear the church down. Like, uh, not trying to tear the church down like I don't want to see it destroyed like I grew up in the church like I there's a part of me that will always love the church it's part of yeah. me that's helped make me who I am today but yeah. you know I'm down here on the on the field you know playing the game and I've been playing the game for a long time yeah I'm not some guy sitting up in the bleachers taking cheap shots at yeah. a game I've never played like this right. is important to me and I think that like you said 
there's value in asking questions, not because I want to see something burn to the ground, but because I want to see something become better. Yeah. And I think people who, I think that's well said. And I think people who are not, for instance, familiar with the, the pruning process yeah. would probably see someone caring for by removing unhealthy bits of a flower or a plant or a tree. And it would appear to them that they were destroying it and they were killing it. It's true. When really they're trying to keep it alive and trying to help it thrive past a moment of congestion and entanglement that it may be in, in order that it can grow higher and bigger and further. And and that's really more the way I see it and experience it. It's never for me been like, let's go in like bulls in the china shop and destroy this thing. It's like, if we really care about this thing and we think it could really have great meaning and, and act great change uniquely, which I think the church is, uh, it, it holds a unique place in culture and in terms of what it's capable of and what it's been called to, arguably. And I wish to see it thrive. If it's able to do that, I want to see it do that. If it's not able to do that, and it's not what it purports that it is, then I want to find that out. And I do want to, uh, I want to be a loud mouth for either conclusion. Right. You know? Yeah. Now, back when all this started, when you like kind of started asking these questions, expressing these doubts, was it difficult for you to kind of go there being in the spotlight? I mean, like, obviously you're, you're on a stage. I mean, you are literally with a band that's, that's fairly well known and you start right. asking these questions. Like, was there a part of you that was like, if I ask these questions and I go here in this spotlight, like I'm just going to get hammered. And like, did like part of you like think to yourself, like maybe I should just not go there. Maybe I should just keep right. it to myself. Like what was that wrestling match like for you? Yeah, honestly, I, I didn't ever really struggle mm. with that. And, I, and, the, and the reason was because that's how we started. And so, you know, and Cademan's again, it's, it's like something that Malcolm Gladwell would write about, but it's like the early origins of a thing really do have so much effect on the trajectory of it and the psychology and dynamics of how it goes mm. forward, how it interacts with what it comes up against. And so for me, the fact that Cademan's started the way it did, we were all really young, we were idealists, we were pseudo-intellectual early you know, believers in Jesus followers trying to figure this thing out. Um, and we spent like half of our career was, or a third of our career was before the internet. You know what I mean? Sure. So like it, and so we were able to, um, so, and, and I, I mentioned that to say, you know, we were able in our early years to, to really put roots down in, in Houston and in Texas and then regionally around those, those areas. And we were able, you know, we managed to, to do two or two and a half, uh, essentially like indie records before we signed any kind of a record deal. And we were touring all over and managed to get a lot of confirmation, firsthand confirmation, because again, it wasn't a thing happening like out in the, on the internet. It was like, we were literally interacting with and like every, every one of those indie records we sold and we sold a lot. Were, were happening out of our buses and vans and cars and trunks and we were like meeting and interacting and having long conversations with all these people and we had this tremendous kind of unshakable confidence or belief not in ourselves individually but in this thing in this thing that we were doing yeah. that apparently we were not the only ones who needed the things that we were working on and making again that mo of what you what we need and can't find or what we need and can't find we make yeah. and we were young intellectual believers who were looking for soundtrack and there was a lot of music for youth and a lot of music for adults and nothing for us and especially nothing that was kind of resonating with with the world as we were interacting with it and so as we went out to kind of create that there were just a lot of people who were very resonant with those same questions who were just like us we weren't different from them we just all needed the same thing and so we went into our our uh early label career which kind of changed our trajectory a little bit with this unshakable confidence, we would not let anybody tell us what to do or how to do it. And we just say, we said, this is us. This is how we do it. If you're not on board with that, then we're not working with you. Mm -hmm. And we don't need you, honestly. We're, we're doing fine without a record deal. We're doing fine. And so it gave us this kind of irrational, it really presented itself as entitlement a lot of the time. We were really young and arrogant, but, <laughs> but it did give us this strength to, to not let someone come in and, and, direct us um, into what would be easier or popular or and and then me being propelled out of that into a solo career like i said it was the most unlikely circumstances because you know my first solo record was called she must and shall go free and it 
it it it got rejected out of a lot of Christian retail because of content and language and stuff. It was a very unlikely debut album. I mean, for any other artist, if that had been me putting out a debut record without 10 years in Cademan's prior, that would have been my first and last record, and I never would have survived. But instead, I came into it with a certain confidence and a certain, you know, in, in the mission of it or in, in my belief in the questions and my belief in the questions because of how I knew they would resonate in other people who had those same questions. It was something that we understood about the power of managing to uh, have that kind of vulnerability and, 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 and honesty about the questions you're gonna address, the honesty with which you're gonna embody them, and then the resonance that, that's gonna then be produced in people who are like you, but, but don't, are not able to write the music and, and need the language and the soundtrack provided to comfort them through very lonely and isolating experiences when they're asking these questions and it kind of puts them on the outside of something or it puts them it detaches them from their community who all pretend to have total certainty about these questions and so i have always had this kind of at least at least some kind of confidence and faith in the questions yeah and, and that yeah. if if i'm doing that part well the rest will sort itself out so i've never stressed about it i've always trusted it yeah. and i still do you know yeah, and that's so good because there's so many people that are afraid of the questions, and I feel like that's I feel like that's part of what your music does is it it helps put words onto feelings that people have that maybe they're afraid to voice or maybe they haven't been able to figure out exactly like I have this feeling inside but I can't put words on it, and right. I feel like your music really helps give some words, and I think once you have those words, you feel all the more free to express them because here's yeah. somebody else who feels the same kind of things. And they're not just talking about it, but they're singing about it in a very public way. And I think that's really, really important. Oh, I really appreciate hearing that. And I think that's, I think that's right. Like that's the way I think about it in terms of what you said about just having the language and the words. Yeah. Yep. And then it yep. becomes so much easier because that's definitely how I am. Like mm -hmm. I am so deeply comforted when I can finally find the language that I've been looking for and the words mm -hmm. that I can use to say the feelings out loud that I've been feeling that have been bottlenecked. And, um, I think that can be the great power of art occasionally is like when you have a feeling and it's like itching and gnawing and bottlenecked somewhere and you you don't know how to or you, you have a deep belief in a thing mm -hmm. that everyone seems to tell you is not right and is not okay and is not and you just don't have that way to express to them the way it feels to you and then suddenly you hear that and you find that language and that vernacular, it really helps. It really yeah. helps. Like, it's like a release valve to suddenly be able to say, no, 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 it's like this. It's like this. Mm -hmm. And that's what great metaphors are. Yeah. And that's what I've always loved about great songwriters. That's what I love about my favorite songwriters is the way that they're able to say, okay, there's a thing that's hard to talk about and it's hard for people to understand. Mm -hmm. And maybe you can't even r remotely relate to, but can you relate to this? Can you understand this? This is a, like, so it's like this. So if you can, if you can understand this over here, I'm saying that's like this. Does that help you? Does that help you to figure out what I'm feeling right now? And if it does, you now have a language and, and or at least maybe some instruction to figure out how to then go to other people who cannot seem to figure out how it, how things must feel from your perspective and come up with that for them and say, and so Emily Salyers, who is in Indigo Girls, she's one of my all-time favorite songwriters. She's been a hero of mine forever. Um, just this is such a perfect example. She's got this love song that she wrote many years ago called um, Ghost, and it's on a record called Rites of Passage. It's one of my favorite all-time songs ever. One of the, it's, some, it's, some, it's a tour de force of great songwriting, the, that record, and especially this song. And she and I just really couldn't be much different in terms of our life experience and in terms of just a lot of things. Um, but, but I so deeply related to the feelings in this love song because of these tremendous metaphors, and I'm gonna quote one to you. In the second verse of the song, it says, um, uh, well, the Mississippi, so I'm at the Mississippi River. Well, the Mississippi is mighty, but it starts in Minnesota at a place that you can walk across with five, five steps down. And I guess that's how you started, like a pinprick pin prick to my heart. And at this point, you rush right through me and I start to drown. And I was like, holy shit, I so completely resonate with that. Like, yeah. I know exactly what she's talking about. Like, I know yeah. that feeling. I absolutely do. Yeah. And yet, how could I possibly relate because we're so different? But she gave me that language and that bridge to come over and yeah. to get inside her head and heart and personality a little bit and story. 
And that's what great language and great art can kind of do for people. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it restores our sanity. It makes us feel not isolated. Mm. And it's a thing that everyone has access to. Yeah. Um, you know, like your friends, your family, you know, your, your, your uh, colleagues are only maybe a great metaphor away from deeply understanding you and you them. Mm-hmm. Like just to be able to say, listen, can we all understand this? This is how it feels. Do you understand that? Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's what it's like for me. And you say, oh, oh my God, well, I, I never would have thought about it like that. Well, that changes my perspective altogether. And that's, I think, why I've just never been able to quit this. Yeah. You know, like yeah. spending my time thinking up better metaphors and providing better language for myself to explain myself and be understood by people right. and maybe by extension, other people who resonate with those questions. Yeah. So you've never been able to stop, which kind of leads me into my, oh. my big question for you is mm. your current project. Um, yeah. The Jesus hypothesis. And I, if I remember correctly and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I saw something, either it was a video you put out or it was a social media post where you said, have you ever wondered if you were wrong about the things you were wrong about was it was that yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so i'm wondering there's like a lot of it's a very cryptic thing that's going around the internet where some people feel like they've got it nailed as to what you're doing other people are like i have no idea what he's doing yeah. your patrons have a little bit of an inside look at what you're doing a lot of an insight yeah yeah so maybe give us a, a sneak peek of what is this jesus hypothesis and where is yeah it? <laughs> oh i really appreciate you asking like it, i i um because it's been a really unexpected and super interesting uh, development, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because, um, I really genuinely not, not very many months ago, mm-hmm. um, felt like I was maybe kind of done as an artist and as a songwriter, uh, kind of digging in that particular section mm-hmm. of dirt, um, sure. trying to put language around the invisible, the not the unknowable, you know, the future and God, all that. Um, I kind of, maybe I was done like, um, that I kind of, yeah, yeah, that I'd kind of contributed what I could and, and, and maybe I wasn't really that interested anymore. It didn't really matter to me or I didn't really have a dog in the fight. Um, but, um, what I've been saying lately is, and it does sound cryptic is like, you know, maybe all that's not done with me, you know, to be fair. And, uh, and I certainly am still, one thing that I've always thought about is, like something I said a lot a few years ago when I was writing uh, Fingers Crossed. And Fingers Crossed is an album from 2017 that I've kind of called my, uh, it's, it was kind of my, um, an, uh, an album of horizontal vertical divorce all at once. I documented a lot of life change all at once on that record and, um, and uh, things that, that really need more soundtrack in the world for people who are going through hard things. And, um, and I would say at that time, one of the phrases, it didn't wind up on that album, I don't think. Um, was that I, I was resenting the idea that God was going to get everything in the divorce, mm-hmm. which was to say, my care of the poor, my love of enemies, these irrational things I learned from f- studying evangelical, evangelical Christianity and Jesus, these are part of who I am now. And they might be irrational without the objective proof text of the Bible or whatever, but they're still unshakably how I feel, yeah. and they're part of who I am. And there's certain types of meditation and prayer even maybe and things that, that a practice of, of gratefulness and a practice of, you know, a giving back. And a, there's just a lot of things I kind of wanted to bring with me. And it was like, all right, well, what of this is still meaningful? And that's how it kind of started. And I was like, okay, so, and, and, the, and it was, that was part. And another part was when you go through a season like that where you kind of deconstruct and you kind of suddenly you start people start using the language of openness like i'm just open to anything now right open to believing anything i'm looking at everything usually what they really mean is everything other than what where they've just previously come from mm-hmm. that they that couldn't have been right and i'm not willing for that to actually maybe be right and actually be the way things are and because you're you're still in a very reactionary place and and a lot of people accidentally go into like a reverse fundamentalism where it's like before I knew for sure what was what was true and now I know for sure what isn't. And I don't really want to be, that's not a posture I want. You're wanted. just as certain on the other end of the spectrum as it's you It's as certain on the other end, that's, yeah. that's exactly right. Yeah. And so I wanted to, as a guard against that, mm-hmm. I, I, I started to, and my, my, my wife uh, and I have long, my wife's an artist too, and, uh, um, and she kind of finds herself very squarely in what's called Christian music. and. Um, and she's a tremendous artist and, um, and, uh, and she and I, um, 
are in, in a constant real-time evolution adaptation with our spirituality, and we talk constantly about it. It's our, like our favorite thing to talk about. And, and with a lot of our friends, and, and I started to, I just found myself not done, curious and asking questions about it all. And here's where the Jesus hypothesis kind of came into it, is um, there was a few things. One was that I, that I, would, I started to say, that I, I, I was getting exhausted myself and watching all my friends and kind of people online in this rat, this crazy volatility between um, deconstruction and reconstruction. There's all this just exhausting up and down, like, oh, I'm constructing, I'm, oh, I'm deconstructing, I'm reconstructing, <laughs> deconstructing. And it's just this exhausting swings that you're in all the time. Yeah. And I started to think, you know what? Like, I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I and so what? What is the what's the alternative? What's the what could be the antidote or the answer to that? And I thought, oh, well, what if I just stop constructing? And what if because I don't know that I have anything I would put the weight of the word belief on at this point in my life. I don't know that I'm believing anything. I think I think for me, and maybe it is just language, but again, you want to be smart about this. I think you start talking about beliefs and some confirmation and conclusion bias starts to kind of sneak in and the stakes start to go up a little bit and you start to kind of stop examining a thing and just start to and and, and I just thought I don't want to do that anymore so maybe instead of believing I'm going to stop using a word like that and I'm going to start using a word like hypothesizing I don't want to believe anything I want to hypothesize in real time I want to I want to bring my permanent uncertainty which I don't think is the enemy of faith. I think it's the prerequisite of faith, actually, uncertainty. If you're certain, what, what's the you? Why do you need faith if you're certain? Yeah. Um, and so I think uncertainty is the prerequisite. I think you must be uncertain in order to have and continue to, to, to sustain faith. And I think it's a healthy way to approach, especially things that are invisible and unknowable, uh, like the future and God. And so I started to kind of talk about hypotheses, and I wanted to just kind of hypothesize in real time, even if I found myself back examining Christianity again and I would want it I would want it to be my hypothesis and I would till the day I'm dead till the day that I have some certainty or see a thing uh, like in a mirror darkly at one moment clearly at some point I can stop hypothesizing and know but I can't know until then and so I, I can't stop hypothesizing till that time and so I started to get into that language I really liked that language like I'm gonna just hypothesize in real time and when something comes in I'm gonna weigh that out see how it feels I'm gonna try it out try it on and I'm going to kind of be shedding and adding things all the time and kind of working on it and, and letting it be an active, real, alive thing I'm doing rather than just a thing I've decided on that I'm now living out of. That was part of it. But then the other part is I had to be willing personally because, and this was something my wife and I would run into, my friend, my friends would always make these jokes with me and say, whenever we would talk about especially Christianity and, and what was happening in Christian culture in the church, they would say, man, you're so weird because you're like not really identifying or believing that stuff anymore. And yet you're like a reformed agnostic. Like what's with <laughs> you? Like, and I don't like any categories or whatever, but I got what they, what they meant by that. Right. When I go into my Christian lane, I have a very specific rigid way that I think about God and the way it all works. And I can't shake that. That's just, that's just the grid through which I see it. I thought, you know what? Maybe I actually need to deconstruct further. Maybe I, it's not that I was too reformed when I was younger. Maybe I wasn't reformed enough because I'm not willing, as I said before, to go on reforming and to go on pruning and semper reformanda, to go on questioning it and pulling it apart and looking for what's right and discarding what's not. And so I started to think, okay, what if I reapproached it? What if I went back and really looked at my beliefs of 30 years and the things that I do still find meaning in and value, own up to those, and then, but then be willing to look at Jesus as a person but go even downstream from systematic theology and downstream from inerrancy and downstream from all that stuff and say, could I look at this and actually deconstruct and pull apart the specific theological grid through which I was seeing it and try to just come at it fresh and just try to experience Jesus as a radical character and culture and just go through and read it all again and see what it's about and see how it hits me without the preclusion of, oh, except here's how it all works and here's the way God operates from before the foundations of the world and here's how God, like, in other words, I need to be able to pull that apart. Yeah. 
yeah. and and lose all that to see. And so there's a song I'm working on for the record. So that's why it's called the Jesus Hypothesis. And there's a song I'm working on right now, and it's a phrase that I've actually used for a long time and a lot when I was still identifying as a believer. Um, and it works just as well now. And the the name of the song, the 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 line is um, "Some gods deserve atheists," and which is to say, sometimes you must deconstruct, destroy, crucify, kill a false thing to find a real thing. Um, and am I willing to own and admit and work on and move past potentially the idea that I may be deconstructed from and am a, am a, a, I deconverted from uh, believing in a God that was not a real God that I constructed from years of study of systematic theology to maybe find one that is there and that is real. Absolutely, I want to know. I want. I'm. Get, let me have it. Like, I want to know that. Mm -hmm. And so, and so it's like sometimes you have to be willing to crucify false gods to find real gods if they're there. Yeah. Um, and I'm. I'm. I am here for that. I'm here for that conversation. And awesome. yeah. So so the the experience of the record is. I know that it, it's funny to hear you say like you know. You know, some people maybe think they know where it's going, and some people don't know where it's going. If they think they do, they know more than me because I <laughs> don't know. I'm literally hypothesizing in real time, as I said. So, my my patrons, the experience that I'm doing is, and I've never done anything remotely like this before. My wife, my best friends, don't hear my songs until I've agonized over every conjunction and every bit of punctuation. Like, I, no one hears the stuff till it's totally finished. But on this new record, I am literally conceptualizing, writing, recording all of it in real time, literally live streaming in front of my community. Yeah. So cool. I've got about 500 patrons right now and it's growing all the time, but who are basically watching me for, I do two hour writing sessions almost every day. I've done four of them this week mm. where I sit here and in front of multiple cameras and I literally go through my phone voice notes, my lyric notes I've been making over the last year and I'm kind of grouping and writing. I've written two songs in the last two weeks and they're watching these songs appear and I'm talking through, commentating where I'm, where I am with it. I, I, I wound up doing like a, like I literally like, am like been doing like a weirdo, bizarro Bible study. <laughs> like I'm, I'm like going back in and reading Psalms and trying to figure out like, you know, what's this, what is this talking about? Like I'm going to be yeah. reading the Gospels next week. I'm, it's the weirdest and most interesting experience I've probably ever had creatively, creatively in my life. And it's amazing to be at a point where people can experience it with me. I couldn't yeah. have done this 10 years ago even. Yeah. Um, you know, so that eventually, yes, all this will, it's just going to be an album and it'll just be on Spotify, but that will be months and months from now. It's but just going to be an album now. Well, you, you know what I mean? It's like, it's just going <laughs> to be, I mean, albums come out every day. What's so special right. about that? Right. But right now, if people are especially interested in this conversation and yeah. um, and want to be part of it, you, you can, you know, you can, you can watch it happen. And that's what I'm doing. So I think that's awesome. Well, I'll put the link to your Patreon account uh, in the show notes so that people can go and cool. kind of and if uh, I want a little more check it out. They can honestly just go to my website. They can go to derekweb.com and that kind of gives them the pitch and then yeah. uh, shoots them straight over to the Patreon if they want to check that out. So Awesome. I'll uh, put that happy, in there too. I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right, man. Well, we're just about um, out of time, but I asked yes. you um, if you would kind of close us out with a song yes. that uh, speaks to mostly to the season of life that you're in right now. And so I'm yeah. going to hand it over to you and let huh. you uh, take us away into... The land of questions. <laughs> I would, be, yes, I'd be glad to do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I, what I was thinking is I would play you the, I, I, I now have two songs finished for the new record. I just finished one yesterday, did it, did it live. Um, but uh, I have this title track that, mm -hmm. uh, the title track, it's a song called The Jesus Hypothesis. Nice. I, so I thought that could be interesting. That could be yes, interesting. Yes, I would love to hear it. To finish. So, um, so what I might do is uh, take these headphones off and then I'll put them back on to speak to you for a second whenever. Perfect. Whenever we're I'm going to mute, mute myself. So I'm going to okay, mute okay. myself. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Uh, yeah, so let me, let me see if I can see if I can get, get through this. Um, um, okay, so yeah, so here it goes. This is the Jesus Hypothesis. surprise I've got a few 
more words for you I invented lots of friends and man I miss them too Twenty-five years on the line, I never talked to you. Maybe busy signals prove that someone's getting through. got the number on Maybe the Jesus hypothesis is worth one more test to find a rhythm for all there is that beats in my chest The Jesus hypothesis like Thomas's best singing is like you literally are like a voice in the wilderness i mean seriously uh, like there's so many people and i know people listen to this podcast are just asking these questions and feeling like that black sheep and i wrote down the one line you said maybe the black sheep is 
brave enough to wander off to see what's beyond mm-hmm. our fears. fears. Yeah. I think that's so, so beautiful, man. Mm. So, oh, so, I really appreciate yeah. it. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure to get to talk to you and finally yeah. connect. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I could, I could listen to you all day, man. So maybe, uh, maybe we could do this again sometime because I got more I questions. <laughs> I would love to. Well, it's just, it's, you- only, it's only going to get weirder and more interesting as this record goes on. So let's for sure do it again. Absolutely. I wish I could be like, uh, I wish I lived closer so I could come and be part of these conversations with you and your wife, because my wife and I have the same conversations because we're both constantly yeah. changing and evolving and we have like yeah. the weirdest dinner conversations That's ever. It. <laughs> and the great thing about it my wife and I were just talking about this today is like the, the the thing that's beautiful about it and and i think church communities should be this way is yeah. that like it, you so uh opinions and beliefs at any given period of time those are those, that those are those tend to be impermanent circumstances and what we've always say is we we don't want to base permanent decisions on impermanent circumstances and it's like what we know is we might not always we might oscillate and we by this time next year she might be on a crazy deconstruction i might be on a i might be fully evangelical there's no <laughs> what's gonna happen but what we know is we want to go through that stuff together and we're committed yeah. to being on that journey with each other and and i think that's as a community and as you know friends and and church communities i mean i think that's what we should strive for is like as we're all kind of swinging pendulums back and forth all over the map like let's be committed to going through all that together mm-hmm. knowing that any of us could be at any place at any point and um you know so that's beautiful to hear that and that's definitely how we do it so yeah that's awesome man well hey thank you again so much for the time i let you go i know you got a busy you got a lot of things you're doing i got a clock in from work so yeah yeah great 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 it was great to talk to you thanks so yeah, much again. you too Trouble breathing just for goodness